0: Hey, my name is Luke Zuch. I'm Scott Mitema. And today we bring in part two on a theology of sin, suffering, and trials.
1: Man, it's been a whole week. I've been waiting to get back to this.
0: Here we are. Back to the part two. uh, If we just quickly recap what we talked about the last time, Mm -hmm. um, that when we think about suffering, we have have to ultimately recognize that God, and in one sense, is causing all things. He's sovereign over everything, and the Bible's not going to shy away from that. And, and our clearest example of that we find at the cross, that God brings this about. Yes, it is absolutely evil, but—and the, the redemptive turn there—God uses that evil for His glory and for our good. And if we can see that, then we go to, okay, now how do we apply that big-picture reality to our own lives? And, and we had a couple things that we wanted to continue to tease out, so let me just enumerate them here at the beginning. The, to clarify that God is not the ultimate author of sins, we're going to just touch on that briefly, and then talk about how we can trust and, and what are God's purposes in our suffering. Sometimes we don't know, as you mentioned, but, but there are some things we can say for sure yeah. in, in that particular question. So that's, that's what we're trying to get after here today, um, the relationship between God and, and how sin exists. How suffering exists. How are we to trust God in the midst of this? And then, what are God's purposes in my own suffering?
1: Yeah, and this again, as we as we said in the uh, in last week, is these are tough issues. And and yes. I know for me, I mean, if I was going to give part of my testimony on this, is just this has has been a a labor to really work through this. I mean, I really wrestled with this and rejected a lot of the things early on that we're, we're talking about. But what I've discovered is, as I begin to understand, Luke, the things that, you know, you've even brought out in, in last week was that there's just great rest yeah. and peace on the other side of this, knowing that a God who is good and sovereign and who loves me and wants his best for me is using... Mm-hmm. In in some ways, I don't understand, but is using this for my good. Yeah. We'll, we'll again to use your words. We'll tease that out more.
0: Yeah. So uh, in if, this session, uh, another quick like pastoral note on that. If you're wrestling through that, I, I, Scott and I aren't sitting here expecting you to go. All right, I listened to the last twenty minute podcast that settled that issue for yeah. me. Yeah. Th- this is not a a quick. Oh yeah yeah. I'm good on that. This, this is a a deep question of your human life of, of what it means to be a person of faith and it's one that you're probably going to have to wrestle with deeply and not uh, p- particularly, Infrequently, it may show up again and again. You'll have to reaffirm oh, these yeah. things over and over, over and over and over yep. again. It's not a one-time. Oh yeah, I settled that question. You know, I I have exposition on this question. It it is a felt and a relational uh, question that will crop up again and again. And it, what we're trying to help you do is is some quick points to help when when these things show up go. I can yeah. go back and listen and be reminded of yeah. the truths of Scripture and help, help basically like a conversation on this topic to to preemptively work our way through the struggles that will be a part of our lives.
1: Yeah. Yep. And yeah. so when we wrapped up in the last episode, we uh, I asked the question, so are we saying that God's the author of sin? And and clearly not, but what are some passages really quick that would, that might um, help us to see how God is sovereign yet never guilty, without being guilty over sin? And I, there's a couple of places. One, you know, in James 1, 13, again, a familiar passage to most of us, um, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. I think that's that's one place that I would that I would go. Can you?
0: Well, and to even elaborate on that James one passage, if you go back up earlier, you'll find that, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you're faced with trials and temptations. Mm-hmm. And so, not only are you not tempted by God, but those trials and temptations that we're kind of winking and, and leaning into what we're gonna t- tease out here more, that, that this is brought about by God f- for our good. Count it all joy. Mm-hmm. For you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, so you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So so you have a little bit of a... a, uh, a, a Both sides of the coin here, this God's not going to tempt you with this broken, hard difficulty in your life. And not only that, he's going to use it for good. Yeah. So, so we have, even in that particular text, the other ones that I generally think of are over and over again, the holiness of God. Um, so... The I mean you can go to First Peter one and be holy as I am holy and that's quoted out of uh, Leviticus twenty one eight but throughout the Psalms the the character mm-hmm. of God right or or we, we talked about Job last time mm-hmm. when Job goes to question God's character and then right God goes you know what Job let me just put you in your place you're starting to question me on on who I am and my character let me show you what I've done and is there a an element of of mystery here absolutely. Um, I don't know that I can, within my limited intellectual capabilities, I can't draw clean lines on how God is sovereign over evil and yet not culpable for evil. It, it There is a, uh, a, a part of my brain that's just too limited to, to be able to sort that out into a nice, clean system. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I have a satisfactory, systematic approach to that answer, but I have a track record of the faithfulness of God, a a truth of His sovereignty over all things, and a a trust that He's going to use those things without actually being their ultimate author of sin.
1: Yeah. And, and again, the storyline of Scripture as talked about last week just continues to reverberate with that. So what are some of God's good purposes yes. in the life of a Christian, in our trials and suffering, and maybe put it a different way. As I'm asking why to yep. the Lord, are there some things that uh, maybe that we can get our hands around and our hearts around to really understand, okay, God, what is well? there's some mystery in my suffering and what you're doing and how you're using it for good, are there some things specifically that Scripture says are purposes— of trials and suffering. Yep. And uh, I think that's where we want to spend a few minutes on. And so maybe to get us started in this, I think I would, I would answer that. There's a number of things that I think are clear in Scripture. One, uh, and again, I this is going to sound cliche, I hope it doesn't, but it's to glorify God. We yeah. have to start. We have to start there. Uh, you mentioned, I think in our last session, John 9, yep. 1 through 3. I mean, that's that's exactly what Christ said in the suffering of the blind man. It wasn't it wasn't anything he did, it wasn't anything his parents did. It was simply that God's work might be displayed.
0: And and what greater way to display that work than to show his power over these broken things in this world? We we also I just touched on James chapter 1 so we talk about why well you're given trials and suffering to produce Perseverance, right? You're, you're, it's, it's a character-growing thing. You find that same idea in Romans chapter five, right? We, we've been justified with faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through Him, we've obtained access to faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then in verse three, you have this great turn. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So so we have this connection between our faith and an unshakable joy in the midst of suffering. Suffering reminds us of the eternal hope we have. So one of the biblical purposes for the suffering of our lives is to point our eyes upward we get so caught up with these little things down here in life, and I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded of my eternal destination, and oftentimes it takes suffering for me to be... Re- I'm, I'm too stubborn to do it on my own, so God uses the brokenness of this world to remind me.
1: Yeah, and and what you also said, to remind me and also to grow me. Yes. I I, I think... We don't spend. It's a means of grace. It's a means of grace. We don't. We don't meditate on that near enough. And and here's what I here's what I kind of mean by that. The path to becoming like Christ, God's goal. For however long that you and I are on, in this world, His purpose for me is Christ likeness. Yes. There's no mystery in that. I can sink my teeth into that. I. So, so in my suffering, what you're, you're saying is one of the purposes, God is using it to, yes, produce perseverance, but we can even get more precise and say, you know, Christ-likeness. Mm. And, and so that's part of the good of Romans 8.28. I mean, we often talk about Romans 8.28 in the midst of, of suffering— and we miss verse 29 because 29 gives us the good of verse 28. It's Christ's likeness. So the road, the point, the road to becoming like Christ is a road marked by suffering. It It is one of God's key means of grace. So, for example, if God looks at me and here's a loving father who loves me and he says, he looks at my life and he says, Scott, you need to really, you need to grow in this area of forgiveness. You need to become more like my son in this area of forgiveness. You tend to hold on to things. You tend to bring things up you know, to people. You hold grudges. Maybe you've become embittered. You need to grow in forgiveness. You know what occurred to me, Luke, was that if, if he's going to grow me in that area, you know what has to happen to me first?
0: Someone has to sin against you.
1: <laughs> that's mind bending, right? Yeah, it's like, no, whoa, that's wait. It's good. I, because I want the easy way. I want, sure. I mean, God knows my heart. I want to become like Christ but what I don't want is my idea of becoming, uh, becoming more forgiving. I'd love to pop a couple of forgiveness pills and wake up in the morning and be like Jesus, but it's not the way it works. He uses the sin of other people in my life to grow me into the image of Christ. That's (laughs) counterintuitive.
0: Yeah. Well, I I mean, it is in one sense. In another, it's it's a, it's a like, Oh, well, of course, well, of course he does. Yeah. Right. I think uh, perhaps it's an o- uh, overly used an analogy, but no one grows strong without lifting weights. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. th- there's a lot of like pain and resistance in that like, it's hard. There's no, there's a reason. And nobody ever just like wakes up and is like, Oh, uh, I want to be strong today. And then mm. boom, you know, right away. Great. No, no, no. It, it took a lot of difficulty and, and struggle to grow, to, to become a, a stronger person. The same thing spiritually. Yeah. Nobody ever looks back on their spiritual walk and goes, you know, it, it was when things were the easiest and most comfortable. That's when I grew the most. You know, that's <laughs> that's when, when God really used things in my life, is when everything went well. Over and over and over again, when you listen to someone's testimony, what happens? It was in this crux, in this difficult moment, in this suffering. And... The brokenness of my life that I learned to trust in God in the deepest mm. and most profound and most joyous ways. Without it, I wouldn't have grown. There's a, you, you can probably go search it online. Um, there's a, a famous interview with Johnny Erickson Tata where she's asked if you would choose. If you could go back to when, I don't remember, she was like 16 years old or something. If you don't know the story, Johnny Erickson taught it, was a, a world-class athlete by all regards, and through a diving accident, became a quadriplegic for the rest of her life when she was a teenager. And she was asked, if you could go back, would you do it again? Would you choose to be paralyzed, to grow in the grace of God that you know? And she pauses for a long time and through tearful eyes says, I would do it. I would not know the grace of God were it not for the suffering that I have had in my life. And you go, mm-hmm. okay, that is a much deeper understanding of brokenness that I, I I have to to try and understand. And so when I think about that from a kind of a big picture pastoral perspective, Saints, don't waste your suffering. Yeah. Don't waste it. Use the hardship of your life as portals of discovery into the goodness of the Almighty God. It's grace. It's she, she grace would, and grace. I
1: think you're what you're implying is she, in many ways, would would view that as a gift. That that that's,
0: that that's a good way to phrase it. Yeah, it was mm. something I would choose. I, I I would want in my life because it is a gift given by God to bring me closer to Him. To your point, this is the the end. I am made to be brought into closer and closer relationship to God, and I want that to happen through the like the easiest way possible, right. don't I? But yep. that's just not how we work. Yeah, I need suffering.
1: So we've we've said that God's purpose in suffering is to bring glory to Himself. Uh, we've said that it's part of the purpose is to grow us into the likeness of Christ. Yeah. Another way of saying that I think too is. To discipline us, I mean, he's a he's our loving father, and he, he 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 loves us, and so he's going to use suffering to discipline us. And I, and as even as I thought about that, I think for some of us, we think in our suffering, God is punishing us. Hmm. And I, I, the 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 what I want to if if that's one of our listeners, if you think your suffering right now is God's punishment, may I give you some hope that first of all god is not punishing you that y- you and i are deserving of punishment but christ absorbed all of the punishment that you and i observe that you and i deserve and so god's what you're experiencing right now is anything but his punishment and but what what you and i oftentimes experience is his discipline you know david said in psalm 11967 before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your I keep your word. Hebrews 20, I think it's Hebrews 25. Hebrews 25? Uh, yeah, there's no 25. Hebrews, Hebrews 12.
0: 12.7, 12, it's for discipline. There you go. Yeah, it's for yep. discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline?
1: Yeah, there it is.
0: Yeah, and, yep. and, and, and to your point, what we frequently view as punishment is... God's means of grace. Think about it from uh, your earthly, like if you're you're a parent, and if if you're disciplining your children well, one, you stop and you don't do that out of anger, right? I don't want to to discipline my child because I'm angry. That's right.
1: It's not punishment. It It shouldn't be. Their
0: experience
1: shouldn't be punishment. It ought to be discipline, but there's a difference between
0: discipline and punishment. And so when I discipline my children... Give them a moment, right? Whatever the consequence may be. It could be spanking. It could be, you know, we take something away from them. It could be a variety of different things. You, you don't get to go do this thing. You have to sit in this corner, whatever it is. And after it's done, I give them a few minutes and I go and sit down with them every time. Mm. And I hold them really close. My kids are little enough to do this still. I say, do you know why? Every time. doesn't matter if they've heard it over and over, and some of my kids have heard it over and over and over again. Do you know why we give you a spanking? It's because I love you. Because I love you so dearly that I don't want you to grow up thinking that that behavior is going to be good for you. I don't want you to grow up thinking that you can impose your will on other people through force. I don't want you to grow up without seeing that this is really what it is this is going to cause you greater harm down the road if I don't stop that behavior now. If I don't, right, you don't let your kid play in the road. You discipline them so that they learn because they don't have the cognitive ability to see the danger that that they are in. It's the same thing for us. Mm -hmm. We don't have the spiritual sense to see the danger that we're living in. And so God brings about, not punishment, discipline. Discipline through the gracious work of a kind father to say i want to love and redeem you i want you to be more like my son i'm going to discipline my children yeah. so yeah. if you're in christ yeah it's not punishment it's discipline
1: yeah and so you know a few other just a few other things to think about is we try to make sense of of this uh, god uses suffering to to grow our character he he uses suffering to you kind of alluded to this earlier—to—to to grow our faith, to grow, to increase our our trust and our hope and our dependence and our reliance on Him. I mean, yeah. Job came out the other end with a much deeper trust and hope and dependence on reliance in the God that he had heard of. Yeah. Now he had experienced in a way he never would have, were it not for what he had went through.
0: Sure. Now, I, I want to do a quick pause right here and divert just a moment, because we talked about Job. Um, we frequently, we, we don't do a good job of sitting in the suffering, and we want to jump to the conclusion. Mm-hmm. So, And I, I've always joked about this, but this this even happens, you know, in the Christian world, <laughs> I always make fun of the song, Blessed Be Your Name. I don't know if you were in church world in the 2000s, but you hear, blessed be your name. You know, it's this, this little peppy tune, and you're like, <laughs> it comes out of Job chapter one. And Job is sitting next to freshly dug graves for his children with torn clothes and a shaved head. And he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and we turned it into this like really happy, every blessing yeah. you pour. A... Don't shortchange the struggle of the moment to pretend like everything's good. It's okay. There, there's a there's a robust theology of tears in the Bible. Yeah. We mentioned Joseph last time. Joseph weeps all over the place, even though his brothers meant it for harm and God meant it for good. He still weeps. <laughs> It's not wrong to sit in the brokenness of the suffering and weep. That's right. And lament is a legitimate biblical category, so don't shortchange your suffering by trying to, to jump too quickly to the resolution. Now, don't lose sight of the resolution. Know that you are held firmly and secure in the hand of the Almighty God. However, it's okay to lament, and not only okay, it is required sometimes. That is the appropriate biblical response. So don't don't miss in those things a an attempt to say, uh, you're fine, don't worry, God holds all things. Just get over it. That is not the Mm-mm. suggestion here. Weep for those who weep, and and be broken hearted for the brokenness of this world. And then after a while, at some point, dry your tears and place your faith in God and live your life knowing that He holds all things.
1: Yeah, and that's maybe that's a good transition into. Uh... The last point we want to just talk about, and that's uh, how, how to do trust. We, yeah how do, how do we respond? How do we respond to uh, trials and suffering? I, as we kind of sneak up on that, Jerry Bridges, in his great work, uh, Trusting God, he said that he said this: It's not that we will learn from adversity something different than what we can learn from the Scriptures. Rather, adversity enhances the teaching of God's Word and makes it more profitable to us. And mm. he goes on, he says, in some instances, it clarifies our understanding or causes us to see truths that we had, you know, passed over mm. before. And so, again, in light of all this, then how should a Christian respond to suffering?
0: Yeah. How, how do you, right, if we, we established those three things last time, that the, the cross was planned by God, it was grotesquely evil, and yet he brought about through the evil uh, his glory and our good, how do we then apply that to our lives? And we've talked about some of His purposes in that. How do we then go about it? And, and for me, when I think about this question, I, I, I just keep coming back. To, what do you need to do to be able to apply that truth to your life? You need to be so familiar with the story of the gospel mm. and so deeply uh, steeped in, in the truth of the faithfulness of God that it's instinctual. That, that you're able to look at suffering on the front end. Not, you don't have to wait until the back where you see, oh, God used it here, here, and here. You can on the front end with Paul say, I rejoice in my sufferings because I know God's going to use this. What a joy it is to, to be brought close to God. Mm. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't negate tears. It doesn't negate difficulty. But if you can familiarize yourself with the faithfulness of God, so deeply ingrained that that story just springs up. It, it's like a like a movie quote that you can't, it's always ready. It's always loaded and ready to go that, that the faithfulness of God has been displayed in my life in these following ways or has been displayed in the story of Scripture in and, and this instance, in this instance, and, and in these people's lives. I can see God's good and faithful hand so that I'm so used to it that when suffering shows up, I'm able to trust, because I've practiced it, I've, I've rehearsed it in my own life to the point where I know it inside and out. Yeah, that's good. Any other thoughts you have on h- how to trust, how to, how to apply that?
1: Yeah, how to respond. I think you mentioned earlier lamenting, and I think the when we talk about how to respond, one is the idea of lament, the idea of running to the Lord in prayer— I mean we're not we're not just talking about lord you know help me to get through this or remove the the suffering but it is running to the lord pouring out our hearts to the lord sharing with him what we're thinking and how we're feeling and he he wants to hear that I mean we want to pray like Jesus I mean he submitted his suffering to the father we see that in in Luke In Luke 22, I mean, the Psalms, I mentioned this earlier, but the Psalms are just replete of individuals who are running to the Lord, who are going through just, in some ways, unimaginable suffering, unimaginable trials, and are trying to make sense of it. And we get a bird's eye view of how they're processing that. In many ways, they're lamenting. I mean, Habakkuk, you mentioned in the last session Habakkuk, and yeah. we get a glimpse of, of that in chapters one and two of just his lamenting before the Lord, which is a right and normal response when we're going through trials and suffering.
0: Yeah, and this runs so deep, and, and some people are a little bit jarred by this reality. There are actually two Psalms, Psalm 39 and Psalm 88, that end without hope. They actually end on the darkness. So the, the last verse of, of Psalm 39, verse 13, the psalmist writes, look away from me, that and talking to God, that I may smile again before I depart and I am no more. But that that's dark. Psalm 88, you've caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. That's the end of Psalm 88. And so the the biblical... Permissiveness for lament goes so deep that that there isn't normally what happens in the Psalms. It's it's how long, O Lord, where are you? Where but I will trust in the Lord, right? It always kind of like redeems it back at the end. And in those two instances, we have psalms that 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 let you hang. And and the brokenness is is so acceptable to God in this broken world that included in scripture are two psalms that just that just sit in the brokenness. Now, I d- I don't ever want you to just end in brokenness, but there there are seasons that feel that dark. Mm-hmm. And and we know that because they're captured for us in scripture. Yep. That that it's just so broken that I can't feel any way out. I don't even see how God is going to help me, and that's that's the prevailing opinion of the moment. And and those seasons are acceptable depending no you shouldn't stay there but there are times when it feels that broken
1: and and here's the hope in those in those times is that we have on this side of the cross we have a a more clear view yes of where suffering goes and i mean so when we talk about how to respond part of that that the psalmist didn't have is we can we can run to Christ. We can run to him. He relates to my deepest level of suffering. He he's, He relates to your deepest level of suffering. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, it says, Come to me, he said, all you are weak and are heavy burdened. I will give you rest. And Hebrews 2, 18, for since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. How do I... How do I deal with trials and suffering? Sometimes I think Christians, we're quick to run to social media, we're quick to to all these different other places, and we miss the one we're supposed to run to. Yeah. That the psalmist, again, we've got a
0: better uh, view of... Philippians 4, six, Prayer yeah. and supplication, make your request made known to God. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah, I, I when you th- mention those, I think of Romans 8, 16, 17... The Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Yeah. So there's a, so much depth here. Can you can you keep that front and center on engaging with your own brokenness and suffering, and and that will lead you to the cross, and it will lead you to trust in God. Even in those darkest of moments.
1: Yep. And it's a fight. It is a a fight to trust God. We see that in the Psalms. There's this constant battle between being consumed by the suffering and the trials and remembering God. You know, sometimes in the deepest times of suffering, Mm -hmm. the way forward is to look backwards. In, In other words, sometimes as I look backwards and I rehearse... God's faithfulness, God's goodness in my life. And as I re- look backwards at God's faithfulness in the scriptures over time and space, that gives me the hope to move forward mm. through my sure circumstances yeah. and, and and through my suffering. It it it, it increases my faith because mm. I'm re- I'm fighting t- to see God's faithfulness and his goodness to remember. It's that, you know, just the biblical theology yeah, of remember, yeah, absolutely, and uh, and so and, and a couple of other things. Just as we think about how do I respond to to suffering, I would I would argue a couple of other things too. And one would be to include others in your local church. Hmm. I mean, don't allow suffering to drive you to retreating into yourself. That's Oftentimes, that's where it does.
0: Good, such good practical Christian living, right there.
1: God has given us one another yeah. in in order to help us to in in part to help us to suffer well. We need one another
0: in order to suffer it's well. Galatians six two. You bear one another's burdens, mm. bear them. Yeah. How can you do that if you won't let someone else know what your burdens are? Yeah. There's an assumption in there that it's I, I, a great point. Yeah.
1: yeah. Repenting of you know we we mentioned in the last in the last episode, that at times suffering can be, not not all the time, but there can be times, and we just have to be honest about this, that my suffering is a result of my sin. And if that is the case, then how do I respond? Well, repent of my sin and and humble myself. If I mean, we see it in James 4. If we humble ourselves before God, we stop doing things our own way we acknowledge that his ways are much better he responds for gr- with grace for the suffering even if the con- even if the suffering's a consequence of, of my own sin yeah and so um, these are just some some ideas of how to you know how do we respond in suffering there's there's so much more we could say as we as we kind of wrap this up what are some you know this we think about just trials and suffering and how to respond well what would be some good resources yep. if I want to go a little deeper on
0: this? I mean, probably more accessible things. Go find anything Johnny Erickson has ever said. Or yeah. uh, if you want to go a little deeper, uh, Helen Rosevere is a great older missionary, and her life story is just great. I, I've referenced that here, but it's been a long time ago, the, this message that she gave. Is it worth it? Is he worthy? You can go look up those words, and you can find Helen's story. And be blown away with what she has to say. Um, A a few other uh, books, and kind of more of what we've done here, which is a bigger picture, philosophical, theological look in these last couple episodes, probably the gold standard on that is is D.A. Carson's How Long, O Lord. Um, It's it's on its second edition. It came out in 1990, so it's been around for a little while and really takes the issue of of sin and suffering and, and grapples with it, uh, as well as, I have a, a book by Warren McWilliams, uh, Where is the God of Justice? And it's it's a, really, a, it's a biblical theology. It, it walks through a bunch of different instances of suffering within the Bible and talks about how and why we're, how you can understand these things in the person of God through a biblical lens. So I, I point to those two primarily.
1: Yeah, those are good. I like um, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. Yep. It is, it's a it is so good so helpful in answering the question you know where's where's god in all of my and all of my suffering um i mentioned earlier a uh, conference piper did back in 2006 i think it was called sin suffering and the sovereignty of god they took that com- conference and they made it into a book and it was edited by justin taylor and john piper but it's I think sin suffering and and sovereignty or something along those lines. But again, and, and there is, I think, seven or eight sessions in that yeah. conference. And Joni Erickson Tata that you mentioned, yep. she was one of the presenters and a number of others and so good, so helpful. Um, if you're really in, if you want to go a little deeper and you have a little more time, the last one I would give is a uh, Piper's new book on, it's called Providence, Providence yeah. and, uh, it's, it's a long one, but it's, you know it's forty-five chapters, but you can do a chapter a day, and it is just a thorough treatment of the the sovereignty of God. He defines providence as God's purposeful sovereignty. But so encouraging, so helpful.
0: Great. We'll close so. uh, with a quote from Scottish pastor George MacDonald: "The Son of God suffered unto death, not that man might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like His." Thanks for being with us.